0: On one of the test kits for COVID. So you could pray for the Sedliceks. I believe that's all the matters of business that we need to cover. So let us look into God's Word. Turn with me, if you would, to the book of Romans. Book of Romans. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. And no, in case you were wondering, I'm not going to read the entire book of Romans for you this evening. Although we might have time, if that's all we did. But I, that's not my plan for this evening. We're just going to look at the first seven verses here in the book of Romans. Romans. Romans chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. Apostle Paul is writing, Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the holy scriptures, concerning his son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship, for obedience to the faith among all nations, for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. Let's pause and ask the Lord for his blessing as we look into his word. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the privilege of studying your word, of listening to your word, and then of applying your word to our lives. We ask that this evening we would come away from here better equipped to live our lives in the culture, in the world in which we live. We ask this in the name of your Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. You see on the screen, the title for my message this evening. It's this question, Should We Listen? It is on responding to the influencers in our world. That term, influencer, it's a relatively new term, relatively popul- recently popularized term, at least. And it's used especially in the world of social media. So if you're not on social media, you might not be so familiar with this term. But in social media, an influencer is someone who uses social media, whether it's Facebook or Instagram, YouTube, They use it to promote certain products, certain services. I have a couple of cousins that promote things uh, like clothing, accessories. One of my cousins does tools. And they're paid to do it. Now, the difficult part is when they're your friend, you're like, are they really recommending this or are they just being paid to recommend this? But that's what an influencer is in the social media world. But there's also a more general way that we could use the term influencer. Just someone who has influence. Someone who recommends a product. Someone who recommends that we follow a certain course of action with our lives. Those are influencers. And we all have influence over the people in our lives. The question we have to ask is what kind of an influencer am I? Am I a godly influencer? Am I influencing people toward godliness, toward the fruit of the Spirit, or am I influencing them toward carnal living, toward the works of the flesh? These are important questions to ask ourselves. But they're not the questions that we're going to look at this evening. Though what we are going to look at has application to those questions. But this evening, I want us to step outside the world of the influencer. And I want to step into the role of the influenced. Because all of us are bombarded with messages, with information. And the question that we have to answer is, should we listen? Should we listen to the influencers in our world? And how do we know who to listen to? Who isn't worth our time? Let me get even more specific. How do we know which preachers to listen to? How do we know which authors to read? Now, I'm not denying that there's value in reading and listening to people that may not fit the criteria that we're going to see this evening. But I would say maybe you should hear those people, but you don't listen to them. Because really, we want our lives to be impacted by godly influencers. I'd like to suggest this evening that Paul, in this text of Scripture, gives us two criteria which we can test the influencers in our world, whether they're preachers, teachers, authors, seminar speakers, or maybe just someone who shared a post on social media. How do we know if we should listen to them? I think Paul gives us the answers in these verses. So Paul is writing here to the believers in Rome. But the majority of these believers have never even met Paul. So Paul begins with this introduction. This introduction is seven verses in length. That's Paul's longest introduction in any of his writings. Why is that? Because they don't know him. And he has to introduce himself to them. Now we do know From Romans chapter 16, that there were 30 or more people in the church in Rome who did know the Apostle Paul. But it's most likely that that was a very small percentage of the entire church at Rome. So he writes this lengthy introduction to them. Verse 1, Paul introduces himself, he gives really three descriptions of himself besides his name. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, separated unto the gospel of God. And in verses 2 through 4, he summarizes this gospel message that he preaches. Verse 2, speaking of this gospel, which he, God, had promised before by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh. And declared to be the Son of God with power, according to the Spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead. And then in verse 5, Paul gives the purpose the purpose for which God gave apostles like himself to the early church. And that reason, that purpose, so that the people of the world would believe. And obey for the sake of God's name. For the sake of God's glory. Look at verse 5 with me. By whom we have received grace and apostleship. Here's the purpose clause. For obedience to the faith among all nations. For his name. For the sake of his name. And then finally in verse 6. We finally get to the people that he's writing to. In verse 6, beginning of verse 7, Among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. To all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Then he concludes the verse, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So what does all of this have to do with influencers in our culture today? Simply this, imagine with me that you've just received a letter in the mail, or perhaps an email, or a message on social media. When you find that envelope in the mailbox, when you receive that notification that you have an email or a message, what are your first thoughts? You probably think, who sent this? Who did I get a message from? And then if you don't recognize the name, you might be asking someone, maybe asking a family member, do you know this person? They just sent me an email. They just sent me this postcard. Do you know this person? Now our means of communication today much quicker, much easier than in Paul's day. But I can imagine a similar scenario Playing out when this letter arrived at Rome. It was carried by a member of the Corinthian church named Phoebe. And the people there at Rome, other than those 30 or so that actually knew the Apostle Paul, may have been asking questions Who is this Paul? Who is this man that wrote us a letter? And then the all important question Should we listen? Should we listen to this man? How do we know if we should listen to this man, Paul? So Paul begins by introducing himself. He gives them the reasons why they should read his letter. Why he's worthy of their ear. Why he's worthy of influencing them. And in doing this, he provides us with two excellent criteria by which we too can test the influencers in our world. What makes a godly influencer? First criteria that we see by which we can test the influencers in our world is this godly influencers are enslaved to Jesus Christ. Look again at verse 1. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ. Find it noteworthy that Paul's first description of himself, other than his name, is that he is a servant of Jesus Christ. This word, translated here as servant, could also be translated as slave. Slave. Paul considers himself as a bondservant of Jesus Christ. Now we need to understand that when Paul refers to himself as a servant or as a slave, he's using a very powerful and really a very shameful figure of speech. There are two primary aspects of slavery That Paul most likely has in mind here. First of all, a slave has no control over his own life. He doesn't get to make his own decisions. He is entirely dependent on someone else to provide for his needs, to determine what he does with his life. He has no control over what happens in his life. But second, a slave is someone who is owned by someone else. He can't even claim himself as something that he owns. He belongs to someone else. So when Paul says that he is a servant or a slave of Jesus Christ, he is not just saying... I serve Jesus Christ sometimes, even that I often serve Jesus Christ. But he is saying, he's not saying, I work for Jesus Christ. He's saying, I belong to Jesus Christ. He's my owner, and I do whatever he tells me. I have no choice in the matter? Well, yes, I suppose I have the choice but i'm not going to take that choice cuz i'm i'm yielding to him now sometimes we hear preachers make a connection between the servant master relationship and the employee employer relationship such as in for example ephesians chapter Six, I believe it is. But that isn't a very good parallel. Because your employer does not own you. You have the choice, in most cases, to leave your place of employment if you desire. A servant didn't have those options. He was obligated to the one who owned him. In some cases, slaves would run away, like is the case with Onesimus in the book of Philemon. But on the whole, slaves stayed with their owners. They were obligated to do whatever their owners told them to do. Now we should also note the differences between slavery in the Roman world and the slavery that we're more familiar with, which is slavery in the South in the United States before the Civil War. Slavery in the United States was based almost entirely on the color of one's skin. But slaves in the Roman Empire were hardly distinguishable from non-slaves. Now, often the way that one entered slavery in the Roman world was because of poverty. They could not provide for themselves, so someone bought them out of their poverty, and they were owned by that person. And then there was the potential that they could buy themselves back out of slavery in the future. But in reality, in the Roman world, some slaves lived better than free people. Like, for example, if you were a slave in Caesar's court, you probably lived better than almost every free person in the empire. Now, you didn't have your liberty, but other than that, you had a very high standard of living. But Paul... He's himself a free man. He isn't a slave to any other person. But he still chooses this language of slavery to show his relationship with Christ. And why would he do that? And I think this is the reason. Because Paul believed in this basic axiom, this basic statement. That we are all slaves to something. We're all slaves to something. So it's really not a matter of are we slaves or not. It is a question of who or what are we enslaved to. Over in Romans chapter 6, we'll turn over there, Romans chapter 6, and verse 16. Paul really expands on this concept of slavery, and he puts everyone in the world in one of two categories. He really makes it simple. Everyone is either a slave of righteousness or a slave of unrighteousness. Either they're a slave of God or they're a slave of sin. Look with me at chapter 6, beginning in verse 16. I speak after the manner of men because of the infirmity of your flesh. For as ye have yielded your members, servants to uncleanness, and to iniquity, and to iniquity, even so now yield your members, servants, to righteousness, and to holiness. For when ye were the servants of sin, ye were free from righteousness. What fruit had ye then, in those things whereof ye are now ashamed? For the end of those things is death." but now being made free from sin and become servants or slaves to God. ye you have your fruit unto holiness at the end, everlasting life. And then a verse we all know, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. And by the way, when you see that verse in its context and you realize that you are a slave of either... Sin, or of God. Sin has one wage that it pays you. It, this is pretty good. It's a servant that's receiving a slave that's receiving wages, and the wages that this slave is receiving is death. That's not so good. But in contrast to the wages that this slave is receiving from sin, which is death, God does not feel obligated. This is a free gift, which is eternal life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. And I'm sorry, that was a rabbit trail, but it was a good rabbit trail. Rome, let's go back to Romans chapter 1. So over there in Romans 6, Paul is making this division. This division. We're all either slaves of God, righteousness, and obedience, or we are slaves of sin, unrighteousness, and iniquity. So the question that we can ask then is, who owns you? Does God own you, or does sin own you? Paul's exhortation in chapter 6 is that since you are no longer slaves of sin, if you have trusted in Jesus Christ then you shouldn't live as though you were still slaves of sin. And since you are now slaves of God and of righteousness, you should live accordingly. But back here in chapter 1, Paul may not have all of this in mind when he says that he is a slave or a servant of Jesus Christ. But I think it helps us understand why he uses this terminology. Because he understands that we're all slaves to something. And it's a matter of who or what we are slaves to. Paul is identifying himself first of all as a slave or servant of Jesus Christ. And I think it's important that this is the first thing, the first way that he identifies himself. Especially to a group that doesn't know him. I think this shows that when Paul thought about himself, this is one of the first things that came to his mind. This is his basic view of his own identity. I am a slave of Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ owns me. I can't make my own decisions. Jesus Christ has that privilege. I am a slave of Jesus Christ. So how about us? How do we know if we should listen to the influencers around us? Perhaps we watch a video on YouTube and come away with it from it with such great information about how we should live our lives. Or perhaps your best friend encourages you to do some certain course of action. Again we come back to that question Should we listen? I was just speaking to a man this afternoon. And he was encouraging me to consider a certain path of action on a particular topic. Well, that's all fine and good. But what I was thinking in the back of my mind was does that align with Scripture? Does does that fit with what God has said? And really what I was asking is the same question we're asking here. Is this way of thinking something that my owner, Jesus Christ, would approve of? Is this something that my owner would want me to be involved in? Because we don't have to wonder what our owner, Jesus Christ, wants of us. He has given us his word. His word tells us what he approves of, what he disapproves of, what pleases him, what displeases him. So if the person who is trying to influence you is not submitting themselves to the authority of God's word, if they are not enslaved to Jesus Christ, then I would encourage you to question their influence, to weigh it according to the scripture, to follow scripture, not these influencers who are not enslaved to Jesus Christ. The first criteria that we see in how we evaluate the influencers in our world is that godly influencers are enslaved to Jesus Christ. But let's consider a second criteria by which we can test these influencers. And that is, godly influencers encourage others to become slaves to Jesus Christ. It's not enough just for the influencer himself to be obedient to Scripture, to want to please the Lord with his or her life, he should be he or she should be encouraging others to do so as well. For this, I said there are two criteria, and I gave you seven verses, and we only looked at the first six words so far. The second criteria covers the rest of the passage. Because really what Paul does here is he identifies himself in verse 1, and then verses 2 through 6 in particular are all subordinate to what he says in verse 1. Because at the end of verse 1, he says that he is separated unto the gospel of God, and then verses 2 through 6 is simply an explanation of what that gospel is, what that good news is from God. But I should make a comment here about the one I'm skipping over, which is that Paul was called to be an apostle. I would actually recommend if someone comes to you today and says that they are an apostle, that you run the other way. Because I believe that Scripture indicates that the office of apostle was something that was restricted to the early church. But I do believe we can still have servants, or slaves of Jesus Christ today. And we can also have those who are separated or set apart to the gospel of Christ, or the gospel of God today. So those are the two that I am focusing on this evening. Paul considered himself as one who had been set apart by God to proclaim the gospel. And as I already said, the word gospel simply means good news. And then Paul goes on to explain what this good news is, especially verses 3 and 4. This gospel, or good news, is concerning God's Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Excuse me. concerning Jesus, His Son, Jesus Christ our Lord, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead, by whom we have received, I'm, I'm skipping ahead, I was just reading three and four right now. But in verses 3 and 4, Paul tells us that this good news is about God's Son, who is a descendant of David in in his human nature, or according to the flesh. But he is also the Son of God. See, in verse 4, declare... Well, first back in verse 3, he says concerning his Son. And then in verse 4, declare to be the Son of God with power. Now, I do need to make a comment here. Some people use this verse to argue that Jesus Christ was not the Son of God until after the resurrection. Because it says in verse 4, and declared to be the Son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. But Paul had already called him God's son or his son, back in verse 3. So I don't think Paul is emphasizing so much that he is God's son as it is that he is the son of God with power. He's emphasizing that Jesus Christ has an even more prominent position, if that's possible, than he did before the resurrection. But This is a very short summary of the gospel. In fact, Paul doesn't even mention the cross, the death of Jesus Christ in this passage. He simply mentions that he's human, that he's divine, that he rose from the dead. That's, that's really the sum of what he says. But I do want to make this comment as well. In the King James, you have concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. And the King James translators did something here. They moved some words around, which is legitimate. The word order is not the same. You have to arrange words to make sense of the text. But if you, in the original, the words Jesus Christ our Lord don't show up until the end of verse 4, I believe it is. So it would read more like this. Concerning his son, which was made of the seed of David according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now I can understand why they put it earlier, because it might be a little bit confusing. But, in the original text, it's like he's building up to the climax. This is his son, he's he is human, he is divine, he rose from the dead, and this is Jesus Christ, our Lord. He is our Lord. He is our master. And there, there are so many words I could stop and park on. I know the, one of the first times I was working through this passage, I just stopped and meditated on the word our. Jesus Christ. Our Lord. He's our Lord. he He's someone that we can claim as our... We have a relationship with him. Now, yes, th- this is a slave-master, slave-owner relationship. But there's one thing we have to remember. And when Paul says he's a slave... That doesn't mean that every element of slavery is brought into the picture here. And there's one element that's certainly not here, and that is the element of a cruel owner. We have a benevolent owner, a benevolent master. This is the message that Paul proclaimed. And then in verses 5 and 6, he gives the result of that message, the result of his office as apostle, especially proclaiming that message. Let's read verses 5 and 6. By whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. Interesting how he links obedience and faith here. And that there's a lot of debate over what this phrase, translated here obedience to the faith, what exactly that means. Is this obedience that which is faith? Is this obedience resulting from faith? Is this obedience? Because there are other places in Scripture where faith is called obedience. For example, God commandeth all men everywhere to repent. It's a command. What do you do with commands? You obey them. So it it can be considered obedience, that the faith is an act of obedience. Or he could be saying that obedience... Flows out of faith. That if we believed in Christ, we are going to be obedient. And I don't know if we need to choose one over the other. It's possible that Paul was intentionally ambiguous here and he's just saying, you need to believe and you need to be obedient. That's the result of this gospel message that he. Proclaimed. And then again, we have verse 6, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ. So this isn't just some people out there somewhere. These are the people that Paul's writing to. You have also received, you also have believed and obeyed this gospel message. Then he addresses them particularly to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Kate, would you be able to get our slide up there again? All right. So the second criteria that we see is that godly influencers encourage others to become slaves to Jesus Christ. And that is a really long way to, to say that godly influencers share the gospel with other people. But I think this is part of Paul's emphasis here, is it's not just sharing a message so that they can have some mental agreement with that message, but th- this is for obedience This is for slavery. This should be the result of salvation in Christ, that we, too, are enslaved to Jesus Christ. So our two criteria are godly influencers are enslaved to Jesus Christ. And second, godly influencers encourage others to become slaves to Jesus Christ. So here's the big idea that I want for us to go away with this evening. We must test all of the influencers in this world, all the influencers in our lives, according to or by their enslavement to Jesus Christ. Are they slaves of Jesus Christ themselves, and are they encouraging others to be slaves as well?